0: Thank you. Why do you need an aperture control
1: hmm well i mean it's another way to control the amount of light that gets into the camera um, but it has all kinds of other effects on the image as well
0: so yeah so what are the uh the controls that you can do uh that you can get with uh aperture
1: well the First primary one is just amount of light, as we said in our lapis- last episode, the amount of light per unit of time. So for every second, if you have a bigger hole, more lights getting in. But uh, there are other changes The the smaller the aperture, then the more of your image front to back will be in focus. And with a very big aperture, you get lots of light, but only a shallow area will be in focus. And that's because the aperture effectively is it's like a lens. It functions like a lens. It's, we think of the lens as being the glass uh, part of the, of the structure. And that is important, but the aperture itself is also functioning a lot like a lens by collimating the light.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, so collimating is, if I'm right, uh, collimating is making things line up. So parallel
1: would be yeah, parallel. Yeah.
0: Because, um, here's, here's the way I always see it is, um, light is out in the world, it's bouncing around. It's coming from every direction. It's coming from the left, the right. It's coming from the sky. It's coming from the ground. Um, right. it, ref-
1: it reflects off things.
0: Right. So, so, um, I saw a, a really good analogy. And, um, if, if you're in a courtyard of a building, you're going to have light coming from, and assuming it's a sunny day. You're going to have light coming from the sun, which is 93 million miles away. And those rays, because they've been traveling right next to each other for 93 million miles, are really straight. Um, very, so parallel, very, very parallel. Very parallel. So you get a really hard contrast with with those. Um, and so you get sharp edges on shadows and, and things like that. But also within that courtyard, you probably have one of the walls that is also getting some light bounced off of it. So we have that. So we have light coming from two different directions. And then if we, you know, add in, uh, assume that the wall is not smooth, say it's got windows in it and, you know, there are little ledges underneath the windows, window sills, there's an overhang maybe. You All of those things are, are bouncing light. And, um, the idea of what the aperture does and the lens, they both, you know, have, have this goal. Uh, and this is, um, you know, kind of what was missing on that projector lens that we, we talked about before, um, is that the light is taken in from all of these different sources and it is, Straightened and, you know, those are all of the different elements that well, straighten the lens. Yeah, or I, think I, it. I think make, that makes, you're, you're it talking
1: about two relevant, two relevant things, but they're not directly related to each other. So you describe the courtyard and, and there's light that's coming from all different directions. Uh, it, you know, that's true, but when you take a photograph, you're actually only interested in, in the light that's coming straight from the subject to your film. And what the lens does, as you say, is, uh, it's trying to keep that light very parallel. Uh, and the reason is because it's going to go down into the camera. It's going to go to the, you know, the lens is going to focus it on a, on a tiny little point. Then it's going to expand out of the back of the lens and project a, an image on the film. If that, Light is not kept very straight by the lens. You will have a blurry image because the the speck of light that came from the end of your chin might end up, you know, on your cheek. (laughs) Right. When it gets to the film. And that's going to make a poor low resolution image. So. And,
0: And that's kind of what happens. Like, um, I have a Schneider lens, um, that has some fungus in it. And so things kind of glow. Because they're, the light's bouncing off those fungus elements and it's no longer in that nice parallel line.
1: Sure. So you're getting a certain amount of the light is kind of just bouncing around, fogging things up.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So, so an aperture, when it is very small, helps to, uh, collimate that light, help, helps to line it up.
1: Right. Makes the Um, image come out looking sharper and more in focus.
0: Right. So, so there's also, um, with that, I mean, you can, you, you can go down to the point where you don't even need a lens. I mean, that's the whole thing with pinhole, uh, cameras. Those apertures are so small that all of the light that comes in is in nice, neat little rows.
1: So the right so the image will be in focus from right in, underneath the, the camera to all the way in, at infinity
0: right So okay so so do we need to be able to control that you know um, so okay so
1: well it's super useful to be able to control that and and there are times conversely when let's say you don't want to change your shutter speed well having aperture control gives you another way to adjust exposure.
0: Sure, sure. So we can do it. Now we have, you know, we're we're all familiar with the multi uh aperture, but we also have the waterhouse stop and you're you're really onto the uh, really up on those and uh it, so you wanted to describe those or uh, sure. or do you think yeah, we already it, covered it? But you, uh, well, I think it's worth it.
1: going over it again. In the old early camera days, um they figured out a way to make an adjustable aperture by having essentially the aperture is a thin piece of metal with a hole in it that you slide into the lens from uh, through a slot so you want f16 you put your little tiny hole in there and it gives you that and then in order to change apertures you just pull it out and slide in one with a different size hole so it's very easy to build it's very simple and then there's another nice quality which is because it's a hole drilled in metal you can make it any shape hole it could be perfectly round It could be square. The metal can be very flat, very uh, perfectly pierced. So you can actually make a much wider range of things happen with this old-fashioned method than you can with a type that's a diaphragm where you have blades that slide uh, past each other to make a smaller or larger hole. Well,
0: what would would be the uh, advantage of a non-round hole?
1: Well most uh, cameras don't have round holes. Most of the diaphragms are some kind of hexagon or pentagon or, you know, uh, because the number of blades that are used to form the opening create little sides and they curve them. They do what they can to make it rounder, but most apertures are not round and that affects the way the image looks uh, in some circumstances Uh, and it affects the quality of the collimation. So, if you have a perfectly round hole and a very thin piece of metal, as you would with a, an ideal pinhole, you're going to get less diffraction. So there's a, the image quality is directly impacted by the design. Uh, and then we'll, we can also talk about bokeh and you know, out of focus areas and all of that.
0: Okay. So, and the Waterhouse Stop is, a, is a, essentially a piece of metal that you introduce to the lens of through the side usually, right? Yeah,
1: right. Exactly.
0: You, you drop it in. Now, yeah. can you put it in front or behind the lens?
1: You know, that's a, I don't really have a good answer to that. Uh, it feels, it seems likely to me if the aperture is too far away from the the most tight point of focus that, that you find in a lens. It, if it's too far away, it seems to me that it wouldn't work as well because, Think about it this way. The lens is collimating the light at a certain point. Like the nodal point of the lens is where all that light comes together and then gets, you know, projected back out. If, if the aperture is too far away from that, it's as if it had a different focal length than the lens. If you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't know how big of a problem that would be optically, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it would be ideal. Uh for for instance, imagine in a really exaggerated version. If you put the aperture right back in front of the film, uh huh, then then that aperture would have effectively be a, for a very wide angle lens. And it would okay. it would a certain amount of the light would get projected at a completely different focal length than the stuff coming out of the lens. And that's gotta be bad, right? Okay. It's gonna land on a different part of the film. So I think that the ideal must be to put the aperture very close to the nodal point where light is at its skinniest.
0: So, um, I've, I had this idea and I had the, the idea was, okay, so if you have a, a a lens, let's even say it's a really nice, um, F1.4 lens. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you left that wide open and you instead had different sized apertures in a lens cap, is that mm-hmm. just going to vignette the image or is it going to act as an aperture and, um, and you know, and, and behave like uh, the apertures that we know and still give a wide image or is it going to be, you know, probably some muddled thing in between?
1: Well, you know, that's an interesting experiment and we should try all this stuff. Yeah. We should re- recreate the science of optics and photography I'm, for I'm ourselves. I'm just thinking – I.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking. I'm going to dust off my uh, digital camera and uh, and try that. Just, I mean, right? What right. what's the big deal? You know, I well here. Just, well, here's
1: something know. that that occurs to me. If you have a small aperture uh, like that out in front of a lens, it's also it's going to have, as I said before, it's going to have a slightly different focal length than the lens itself. Right. But there's another thing, which is that proportionally, depending on how fast your film is and how slow your shutter is. That aperture is going to have a proportionately larger or smaller impact on the whole image. So it may be that it's an effect that you can see more clearly, you know, on long uh-huh. exposures, for instance. So there's some experimenting to be done. Okay. Uh, but, but, uh, I have a feeling that you're, if you get that aperture too far from the heart of the lens you get into trouble and and i think and one reason i believe that is that you see shutters all over the place but you never see apertures way out of you know out of the right out of the uh middle of the lens i'm
0: I'm sure this is something that you know i mean uh if we have any you know optical designers out there i'm sure that they've just these idiots click you know Go on to the next no. podcast. <laughs> I think but,
1: I, I think that our guess is probably pretty close to reality.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I think that you're right, but I I there's something there that says, hey, experiment, try it out. So so mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to yeah. I'm not sure exactly when I'll get to it, but uh, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, plan that out. So
1: right, and so, then I think if you go too far out there, you you know the uh, the thing will become. What the picture is of instead of part of this optical system. Sure,
0: sure. So, yeah. I, and it, I think,
1: I think then it also will depend on the uh, optical design as well. I mean, there are lenses that are designed to project the nodal point outside of the lens itself. So, right. there is all kinds of exceptions to our sort of average lens that, yeah.
0: that we're. So, so, here. you know, an, an example would be like a, um, a really wide angle lens. Um, that has, you know, the focal length being say 28 millimeters, but the flange distance being 40. Right. Um, then, or 35 or something like that. Well, it's got to focus that behind it, but it can't float an aperture back there. Mm-hmm. So it's got to have the aperture in front of the that nodal point so i mm-hmm. there's something there there's something right, there, there I'm, I'm, well there's, I'm gonna there's a working that. range that
1: that works and yeah. then beyond that it doesn't and that'd be interesting to know more about yeah. all right
0: and i yeah and we we should experiment with a couple of different types of lenses you know like like for a meniscus lens is it um is that okay you, well, know, you know or it, it, or would that be better?
1: yeah in optics, there's something called a test bench where people have like a, basically it's a bunch of standards that you can adjust in relation to each other. You know, all different angles and distances. And in a way, I'd like to make some sort of simple camera that kind of operates that way, where you can, you can move all the parts around relative to each other. So you'd have, yeah. you know, a waterhouse stop holder and a front lens holder and a back lens holder and an in between. You know, that you could actually sure. move p- pieces of of glass and apertures and things, different distances, uh, have some kind of shutter in there, you know, it would be really a fun, a fun device. And I guess you might want to put it all inside of a big, you know, some kind of a box so that you could move things around however you wanted. Or, and you don't have light bouncing around within it. So
0: yeah, that's some, that's definitely something to do. Uh, so Mm -hmm. we'll have to, have to look at, I'm wondering if there's something that I could, uh, 3d print that would work reasonably well. I'll have to think that through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. So, um, sharper better or sharper better, sharper, smaller, sharper. Mm-hmm. Um, but it limits the light. Is there any reason why, you know, say a pinhole camera, if, if the smaller we get, the sharper we get, is there any reason why you wouldn't just take that to almost no light coming through at all, you know, as small as you could possibly. Yeah. So, it.
1: so it, so the, the sharpness only increases theoretically in real life. It doesn't increase. Um, but the, the thing that happens we've talked about, I think in the past is a thing called diffraction where the, the light coming through the, the smaller, the hole it's coming through, the larger percentage of the area is right near the edges of the hole Okay. And at the edges of the hole, the light coming through gets knocked out of line a little bit. There's essentially turbulence that happens there. That's where the All wave right. theory, the wave theory of light starts to overlap the particle theory. Um, columnation is an idea that has to do with the particle movement of light, you know, photons going in straight lines. But near the edges of the aperture, it starts acting like a wave and you get turbulence and disturbance. And w- what happens is the smaller the aperture is, then the higher the percentage of the light coming through is close to that edge. And so, at a certain small size, that diffraction interference starts to degrade sharpness uh, enough to counteract the advantage of the tiny lens effect of the tiny hole. So that, and then the the other variable though is that there isn't an absolute size. It's size in relation to the size of the actual sensor or film. So if you're projecting on a bigger area, then the diffraction has a smaller impact uh, on sharpness. So basically the bigger the film, then the smaller your aperture can be with a nice sharp result. Oh, okay. okay. So that's why you'll see uh, large format lenses that go down to F32 or even smaller because they can actually get away with it. Whereas on a 35 millimeter camera, you know, it starts to, usually it starts to go downhill after f8. Um, f16 is often the, the practical limit, although you'll see a few that go to f22.
0: So, um, one of the, uh, one of the issues that you see on, or one of the, one of the sales points on, uh, on a lens that you'll see often is the number of blades. And we just talked about, uh, you know, the, the hexagon and pentagon shapes, uh, maybe an octagon shape, um, that you get, you know, and that's just simply the number of blades. So a pentagon would come from five blades and it's just, they're straight blades. So how does it, I mean, does it really matter that much? Because they're, you know, one of the things that I, I, I see often and I, and I always notice it. And you see it at Christmas time on television if you watch something like the Hallmark Channel in the U.S. And <laughs> and what it is, is they're, well, they're, they always have Christmas lights in the background, right? And it's at night, there are Christmas lights in the background, and they're focusing on the couple that, you know, they're going to get together eventually. But right now there's a misunderstanding, so they can't stand each other, right? So they've got that scene going on in the front, and in the background are all these hexagons, which are those, or, or pentagons is, you know, what I see often. And, you know, that's the bokeh area, right? Or the bokeh area. Yeah. Um, so what
1: you're describing is that the out of focus area of the land of the image, when any light sources there will right. actually, will actually show you the shape of the, uh, whatever shape your aperture right. is. So, and, and here's, yeah.
0: and here's my thought is, you know, These, I mean, the production values on a Hallmark movie are not the highest, but still they can afford the, you know, the $17,000 lenses for these cameras, right? So why do we see those at five-bladed apertures on those? Why don't we see a bubble? Why don't we see a perfectly circular bubble? Yeah,
1: so my opinion of is that is is that... The the choice between a round bubble caused by an expensive mini bladed aperture versus the the, the six sided one, I think that that really comes down to fashion. Uh, I really I think okay. that that th- at some point somebody started making the rounder ones and it became a cool look. And pe- because as as far as I know, that's not really a a huge part of the actual quality of the image. Like I'm thinking if you add a lot of blades, you're going to get a rounder shape, but you also will get a less, it'll make the whole structure thicker. And so you might have, you might have a diffraction increase. I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm making things up right now, but it seems likely to me that there are trade-offs And as far as I can say, see comparing lenses that I have, like I have a beautiful old Minolta MD lens with a five bladed aperture. It makes these pentagonal, you know, shapes in the image and they're wonderful, beautiful, sharp images. Like there's no better lens. And then ones I have that have more blades, I don't see a higher quality, but it does look different. And I think that what we're talking about now is subjective kind of artistic choices and fashion and that kind
0: of thing. I taught with a woman when I taught in Jacksonville, uh, I taught with a woman named Jen Morgan and, um, she is, uh, she loves the, uh, Yashica Electro 35 and I had one in it. eh, It didn't really do much for me. Um, but it has a five-bladed aperture, and I mentioned that at some point. She said, "You know, I kind of like to see it because um, it, I'm I'm conscious that it, it is a photograph. I'm making a photograph. It's not, in, mm-hmm. you know, it's not life here. It's a photograph. Yeah, but you know what? And, and, but and real, I can understand in, that.
1: But but in, in when you're out in the world looking at the planet, do you ever see round? You don't see any bouquet balls with your naked eye, whether they're no. round or hexagonal. I mean, I, that's just. I an have LASIK using... surgery. Uh, about... Uh... <laughs> oh, no,
0: you actually see them. So, no, what I see is um, I see something like, uh, for especially for our Canadian listeners, I see something. That looks a little bit more like the CBC logo, um, which are these all these different different tiny dots uh, around. Did, did
1: you, by any chance, go to Canada to have this work? No, I
0: didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it could have been a Canadian doctor because you know uh, Canadians, you know, they're almost foreign, right? Okay, right. And they put the, and they <laughs> and put their difficult. logo in,
1: in the inside of your eye when you do surgery. Right?
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Yeah have your have your LASIK surgery. Um, uh, sponsored by, you know, and sure, then it's going right. to be, Oh my God, I'm looking at Chevron logo again. Oh, the God, only the problem Chevron is logo. you've
1: already bought their product. Like it's, it's sort of internal <laughs> <Right>. advertising. <is. laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. And it's constant. You can't, you know, I'm going to have this redone into the McDonald's logo. Um, anyway, um, uh, let's hope I did, we did not, um, uh, spur some, uh, some... perhaps we should edit this out. <laughs> okay, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> we don't yes. we don't want to
1: start with a logo in exactly
0: right. so here's yeah. one of the things that you know i have a um that uh kmz um which uh, soviet brand uh the kmz Jupiter 3 that i think it's got 21 blades or 27 blades or 17 blades some i don't know exactly what the number is but it's really high and it makes very circular aperture and uh, you know, you know, I like that lens for a lot of reasons. And I, and I'm wondering how much that plays into it.
1: Well, so, so I think we've been fixating on bouquet balls, but you're right. The the shape of the aperture will affect other things about the out of focus area combined with the glass and the lens design and all of it. So I, you know, this is beyond my knowledge level, uh, but I, I believe it has an impact. However, I think it's probably mostly an aesthetic impact.
0: Right. Okay. So here's also, um, you know, we talk about the extreme of the 21 blades or whatever it is. Um, But I had an Olympus, um, I just talked about it, an Olympus Pen EE, which is, um, you know, a little pocket point and shoot. And it had a two-bladed aperture. And the way that that worked is at the end of each blade, think of two blades that are sitting opposite each other and that when they're extended, they will cover each other. They're, they're just opposite, you know. uh, So
1: it's, so what you're describing is a diamond, diamond shaped cigar cutter.
0: Well, and and what they did was they, they, um, cut a, yeah, uh, a little notch in the bottom and that created a diamond shape, right? And as it, as those aperture blades would move back and forth, that, um, you know, if they move towards each other, the aperture shape would get smaller. And if they move further apart, the aperture shape would get bigger. And, and, uh, I was just talking to one of our listeners, although I don't think he's, uh, participated yet in the forums. Um, and, uh, he's, he's one of my former students, uh, a guy named Miles. And he, um was talking about using just what you said uh for a shutter and that is the um the cigar cutter and that that was his what his shutter was gonna be uh on his garbage cam so uh let's hope that uh that sees the light of day i i i really or or for that matter uh it controls how much of that light of day comes through onto the onto the film so uh, that was uh, I, I thought that that was uh, pretty interesting. Um,
1: yeah, I think you you could smoke the cigar and use it that as a uh, neutral density filter. <laughs>
0: yeah, just blow some smoke out right. there in front and then take your right. picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I that might, so, yeah. that might haze up just a, a little bit. So,
1: but but you've you've re you've reawakened this idea of making a kind of a test camera, and I think a simple version could be something where you just you build something that there's a, a place for various shutters, a place for very vari- waterhouse stops and, you know, a way to attach a lens. And I think the simple form would be to go lens, aperture, shutter in that order from, you know, and then film in the back. So you could make those like a replaceable module um, in a simple box camera where you could stick those different things in, try them out, try different apertures, try different shutters. Be, it'd be fun. Be like a, uh, you know, something that you would want to get in at Christmas when you're a kid, you know, like a Meccano set or whatever. Yeah.
0: So, um, okay. So why don't we, why would we not want to just stop down? Uh, or wh- why would we not just want to shoot everything on aperture priority? Leave the shutter speed alone. Leave it at, you know, one, one twenty fifth and, uh, and just shoot on aperture. Just change our aperture as we go or change our neutral density filters.
1: The reason you wouldn't always use aperture priority is because sometimes you want to change the other factors. Most people have thought for years in terms of just adjusting aperture and shutter and using things like neutral density filters and flash were sort of this, you know, things that professionals did in special circumstances. And, you know, you'd read a whole, a whole article about it in a magazine or something, but I see that's changing now with some of the newer digital cameras. For instance, Fuji makes a camera with a built-in ND filter that you can just push a button and activate. And the reason is and because How's that
0: not just changing the ISO?
1: Well, it liter- you know, I'm not sure how they're actually doing it yeah. in that camera. Um I know I also have a 1937 Voigtlander Bessa 66. Which has a filter on a little hinge that I can flap in front, oh, okay. in front of the in front of the lens. That's really handy too. <laughs> so it's not a new idea, but uh, but the, what I guess I'm trying to say is that it's going. to... I think it's going to become more and more the norm that m- more ways of adjusting the image are built into cameras. Well, I mean your I, your app your iPhone is a camera, right. Which essentially. You're already in the software stage of manipulating the image right then when you take the picture, you know. So sure this is happening digitally, but it also can could be more the case with experimental film cameras. We could put we could put a rotating disc of N D filters in a camera, for instance, and just and just quickly set it by spinning it. I'm actually thinking that a camera with a series of disks is a really appealing idea. So you could put your apertures in a circle around the outside of a disc that would turn, turn, turn. So it was always in front of the lens. You could make a rotating shutter that would be in the same, uh, you know, take the same amount of space in the mechanism. And now we've got our rotating ND filters out front. I mean, could be interesting. It could be this sort of tube shaped camera with a lens off center hmm. and, uh, and all the, all the inner parts could rotate sort of like, uh, like a, a combination lock or something where you could, you know, set different parts and different combinations Ah. just by rotating it. Yeah,
0: that I can, I can definitely see that. Um, I think that'd be fun. So, you know, the, um, I, I was just reminded that we, um, missed a section when we were talking about shutters, where shutters and apertures actually overlap. And it, and it goes with the, um, Uh, with the leaf shutters. And this was something that we saw. I think it was more of an 80s, 70s, 80s camera design. Um, you know, when they were still building those range finders.
1: Oh, I remember you told me about this. This is when, this is when the shutter and the aperture are just one diaphragm. And what happens is that when the shutter opens, it opens to the aperture size. Right. That's, that it's the target and then it closes again. And that actually is a pretty brilliant idea. I hopefully.
0: think it, you know, I mean, it's lightweight and, you know, it's only one component. Uh, so you only have to control one component. Now the, the one thing that I do think though is that it's a little bit more complex because, um, you know, with your, with your shutter traditionally, it's going, uh, fully closed to fully open as fast as it can. And mm-hmm. then fully open to fully closed as fast as it can, and it's that time in between that that controls it. But and aperture on those little range finders generally was set set manually by hand. Um, well,
1: so but also think about auto auto stop down is essentially doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, with a, with a mo- modern SLR. It's yeah, it's it's doing it so that you can always look through a wide open lens when you're focusing and, and composing, but yeah. it's essentially doing the same exact thing.
0: Right. It's um, it's just a more complex operation. But one of the things that I'm thinking about is just like what you were talking about. By that time, by the end of the era where people were building rangefinder, finder, uh, you know, small mobile rangefinders, finders, um, they um, had the electronic... Ability to control all of those things, and they were using them elsewhere in other production runs, just like what you were saying, which mm-hmm. is that the automatic aperture, where it goes from fully open when you're focusing down to um, its, its size for the photo... Uh, and then back open so you can, uh, can focus again. So.
1: And it, it happens pretty darn fast when, you know, with those, some of those modern cameras. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of amazing actually.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: So yeah, you wonder how it does it without sort of like vibrating or, you know, (laughs) pulsing. Like is it, and maybe it does, maybe it does pulse a little. I mean, and that maybe that has an effect on the image too. You know, when the, when the aperture is like, you would think that it might actually change Infinitesimally change size slightly during the course of the exposure. For instance, sure, and that might be given a different quality. And there's another thing to experiment with. Yeah,
0: um, that um that was uh one of one of the advantages of the leaf shutter. Um, that a lot of people like, for instance, uh, you know Hasselblads have those those leaf shutters. Um, and um, part of the advantage of that is that you can minimize camera shake because the action of that shutter opening is in a radial pattern that is perfectly right. balanced on the other side of that circle right. as opposed to a um you know a, a a curtain that shoots across slams into its end and then another curtain shoots across you can get a little and also the uh if you're talking about an SLR the 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 lens uh, or excuse me, sorry, the mirror moving up can shake, uh, can shake your camera a little bit. So, so those, yeah, you, you all know, these
1: different directional uh, impacts that are happening, right. Are right. Or more, uh, more disruptive. Yeah. Exactly. And they also, I think they also have more power behind them as well.
0: Okay. So, um, if you were going to go with your own aperture, making your own aperture, um, uh, given that you have a lens that needs to be stopped down and that your shutter is, is dealt with somewhere else, what do you think would be the easiest, uh, would be the, what, what would be the first one that you would go to while working through, uh, through that problem?
1: Oh, definitely the, the waterhouse stop is the place to start because you just have to drill a hole in a piece of metal and slide it in through a light tight slot. The other thing that's nice though is that that allows you to experiment. Um, and then if I was making, if I was trying to make a camera that had multiple aperture, uh, choice, I think I would go with a disc, um, and just a series of drilled holes, uh, that, that you could slide, or it could be on a strip, but some way to slide them past Those old those old
0: box cameras that had a two, two Mm -hmm. aperture set. I mean, that's just a strip with a hole in it, right?
1: Right, and then you just pull for one setting, push for the other, and yeah, yeah it's nice and simple.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that that's the the way that I would go. I think I would um, I would put them on a strip and uh, and run them through the center of that lens. Uh, the, the
1: nice thing about a disc, too, though, is that you can have if it, if you have it in a in a light tight slot, you can have just a a little bit of the disc protrude from the camera, and there's your control. And you can right. even write the numbers on that. I mean, it's so simple; it's one yeah. moving part. And it could run, you know, the mechanical method as well as the control method as well as the readout all in one. Right, right. I don't know. I I like the disk idea. So that's probably where
0: I would go first. We'll have to try it out. I think so. understand that you have spent a little bit too much time over there at K.E.H. website. Am I right? <laughs> that's true, but th- that's partly your fault. So <laughs> Yeah, um, just just so you guys know, I, uh, I was uh, trolling on... Um, I was not trolling people, but I was uh, going through Instagram and I found a K.E.H. Uh, coupon code... For I think it was fifteen percent off, and I sent it to Nick, and the coupon code didn't work, but he bought the stuff anyway. <laughs> well, what
1: happened is it made me discover a uh, that there was a Fuji GX six eighty for I think twenty one dollars, <laughs> and this is this amazing, oh amazing medium format uh, camera that it's completely unique. It it's designed for a six by eight uh, f- uh, format. It's got uh, it has a, f- pretty much full movements of the front standard so you can use it like a view camera with medium uh-huh. format film. It's also a single lens reflex camera. So it has a really beautiful viewfinder, really big, bright, clear viewfinder showing you right through the lens. Anyway, it's this amazing camera. And you can get them considering how good it is, you can get them for, you know, I don't know, with a lens or you can get them for a few hundred dollars now. But the the trouble uh but that's still a lot of money and they're all electronic. So if something goes
0: wrong they really are we, studio cameras. Uh, it's I mean, a big, really-
1: heavy, right? Big, heavy studio camera, but uh, people use them outdoors too. Um, the thing about it is that it's all everything is it's it's a very modern camera. It like you just push put the film in and it feeds it itself, and you know it's it's one of those things that makes humming noises and you know, does all the work for you. And so it's not something I could work on ordinarily, but with, but for twenty one dollars, I thought, wait a minute, I could just. Take off the stuff that needs to be electronic and attach a graph lock back to the back so I can use a mechanical roll film. And then uh, instead of the expensive electronic Fuji lenses, well, I could just put, you know, again, a, a graphlex, uh, lens, lens hold, holding board on the front of it and then use, yeah, use uh, large format or medium format lenses that have their own shutter. So just use it the mechanical part of the camera and dispense with the electronic part of it. So it's going to come in the mail soon and I'm going to try this experiment out. Um, and what I, ideally I want to keep the single lens reflex viewfinder functioning, but that means I'm going to have to figure out a mechanical way to raise the mirror. Cause that was also electronic in the, in the, uh, the, in that camera. But I think I could probably figure out a way to just, you know, have a string and pull up on it or whatever.
0: <laughs> sure. I'm wondering. Yeah. Well, you, that would introduce uh, a hole for, Oh no, you can light. make that work. Yeah. You can make that
1: work. You just, you just have to make a good fit and put some fuzzy stuff around it.
0: Yeah. yeah not string, not string. You need a lever. That's what you need. Well, so that, yeah, it could be a
1: lever, but the point is that, that when the mirror is up, it's a light tight seal. So, if whatever you attach to it is behind it, it, it shouldn't be a problem.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause it, it has to, uh, seal off the, um, the view, the, the, uh, focusing screen. Mm-hmm. Right. And the viewfinder up there. Yeah. So, okay. That makes, that makes sense. So, um, what kind of timeline are you, uh, working on this build? I mean, what, what's your, your plan for development?
1: Well, you know, I have all these projects and they're all, they're all waiting for each other to happen. And, and I have a bunch of parts that I'm more or less planning to use for specific cameras, but I might just steal some of them and put them on this because it's a, it's an appealing idea. So first I'll, I'll just experiment with it. I'll find out what, you know, what works and what doesn't with no power and then I'll just remove the stuff that's in the way until I have a camera. I mean, at the worst case scenario, I could just gut it completely and get rid of the mirror and seal up the top and, you know, or glue the mirror shut or whatever. I mean, I could create... And use it focusing screen or something. I could basically just use it as a view camera, right? Um, wow. And I have I have a, a back off of an old crown graphic. So I already have, you know, a graph lock back with a ground glass that just can be screwed on the back. And then on the other end, uh it's just as simple. I'm sure that I can really easily rig up a way to stick lenses on the front. It's light tight. So, uh, I don't think it's going to take much to try it out uh, at all. Um, it's so, uh, yeah, that's probably, that's really the attraction is it's quick. And if it works, it's a really, really well-made. So the similar camera I'm making for myself, which I still will complete, will have a more old fashioned rickety kind of a front end for controlling the movements of the lens. You know, just some screws that you tighten and loosen and fiddle with. Uh, This is much nicer. You know, it's all made beautifully machined.
0: Is this going to have all of the front standard controls that you would get, say, on a field camera?
1: Yeah, it does. It is essentially. It is a field camera. And people... The the one limitation, of course, is that it's a big SLR, 6x8 format SLR, and that means I won't be able to get a super ultra wide angle large format lens to work because I won't be able to get it close enough to the film. So one disadvantage of a single lens reflex is that there's this big bulky mirror box that keeps the lens at a distance, and they design special lenses to accommodate that extra distance, but large format lenses don't work that way they have to get really near the film for very wide angle short focal length
0: i wonder lenses. if that mamaya 50 millimeter would work on there
1: see that one i'm not sure i doubt that it will because that's not only is that a large format type lens but it's designed for a uh, uh, uh rangefinder camera which doesn't you know, it's designed to be, have a very short flange back distance. Oh, okay. So I don't think there's any chance that'll work, but a longer ones will work. So I, and I, you know, it's just a matter of measuring, you know, crank it all the way back and see how far it is to the film. And that'll be my focal length limit.
0: Um, you know, I was just thinking about, okay, so what is the, you know, the flange focal distance on that. And then I realized you don't have the right back for it. So it doesn't even matter. I mean, <laughs> looking it up, uh, it, it right. doesn't matter. Right. Now, if you use the mirror, if you end up using the mirror, you're going to have to mimic that yes. flange focal distance. Otherwise, what's on the mirror will be in focus. But right. when it hits the film, it'll be out.
1: Yeah. So, so the, uh, the actual original cameras do have a removable film back. So, so you know, there's a design where there's some distance between the back of the camera, the flange, the film flange, so to speak, and the film plane. And that distance won't be exactly the same as on a graph lock, but it only has to be a little bit longer. And then all I need to do is shim, shim the graph lock thing back. So I don't, I think it's likely to work. And then, you know, from there, it I could you know, start grinding the back of the camera off, or something. Like that. I don't sure. think I'll need to. I don't sure. think I'll need to. And, and and also, you could one could design a recessed lens board to you know a little bit or something like that. Um, if you need to make up a few
0: millimeters, so. And then, uh, at what point do you hook it up to uh, the lightning and say it's alive? It's alive. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs>
1: that's also a possibility it does it does say that it's missing its power source whatever that oh okay conceivably you could just get the right the right voltage converter and plug this thing into the wall and it would come to life
0: well you were saying that you were getting thunderstorms now that you never used to get (laughs) thunderstorms so hey that might be you know a hidden benefit of global warming right we can tie a kite to the old electronic camera and so we've got an update on the garbage cam challenge, and um, yeah, some of us still need to do it. <laughs> so uh, in our uh, Flickr group, we're going to extend the deadline. In fact, actually, we might just want to let this as an ongoing, you know, non-specific thing. You know, show us, your, show us your garbage cam uh, uh
1: right. no no diploma until you make a cam- camera out of garbage in there the meantime- we go there we go yeah
0: in the <laughs> meantime you can do some other things but right. um so uh probably i would say since Jonas is the one who has um uh you know posted the most with those he's he's posted two he did the one um out of the the box with the uh magnifying glass that we talked about. He's an but he, undisputed champion. We don't, we don't <laughs> But he also did one out of uh a tin of what was it, a yogurt tin or something yes. like that. Yeah, and, I think
1: that may have been er, an earlier camera from yeah. before. We well no, I, I think
0: I think that that was garbage cam. I, I think he did that for garbage really? cam. I may be wrong. Um but um so we're we're gonna say um as uh the primary um uh contributor you have won this so far um now what about yours uh how have you, how have you been doing on yours
1: well i i've carried the coffee can uh, upstairs to my uh workroom <laughs> and, and put it on a table that's about it and the the thing that's really holding me up is that i haven't gotten around to making my proper dark room to do to develop paper. So I've been planning that was meant to be a paper negative, uh, camera. And I don't have, it's not, it's not inspiring to expose paper and then put it in a box and then forget about it. So I think I will work on other things until I have that problem solved. I could squander a piece of four by five film in the thing. Maybe I'll do that, but if that's kind of small, I was planning something bigger. Um,
0: maybe it, maybe it, maybe I should come up with a different
1: design that's, that's for film. And, uh,
0: Maybe just tape some, uh, some 120 across the back of it and then, uh, and, and develop it that way. I could just,
1: uh, you're right. I could just undo a roll in the dark bag and slice it up into convenient lengths. That's a good idea. Yeah. And it'll, it'll naturally be curved. So it'll, it'll curl around inside the, uh, the can. Oh, okay. Okay. That's
0: That's good. good. So, uh, my update is that, okay, so, uh. I made mine out of a, um, the carton from a 12 pack of soda. Um, I folded it, I put everything together, I had, uh, dowels, we talked about it in the last episode, um, but, um, yeah, and I shot with it, and, um, and then I tore the tape off and I put it in the recycling bin because that really was where it needed to go. It's that's not really garbage cam. That's recycling bin, um, cam challenge. That's fine. Thing. That's, that's I, better. I, I think yeah. That, that yeah, right, exactly. That's that's one step up. Uh, I wasn't happy with it. I didn't like shooting with it. Um, I, I I got a couple of I, I thought decent images. Um, if you look at my Flickr, uh, which is. Freezer of photons, all one word, uh, on the Flickr or, um, my Instagram feed, which is at Graham Homemade Camera. Um, and, uh, on either of those, you can, you'll see a black and white pinhole image, uh, of a glass of water. Okay. And I was sitting at a restaurant in Jacksonville. Uh, I, I took that shot and it was kind of nice because, I got the lensing effect of the glass of water because it was shooting through the glass of water and it has a lensing effect because of the curved, um, shape of the water, right? Um, and that was kind of cool on a pinhole camera, but that pretty much was it. And, uh, I took a couple of other shots as I was driving. Um, so I had a lot of motion in it, but I, <laughs> I had zero affinity for it. So I'm, I'm looking again, uh, and I will, um, uh, I I'll do another one, uh, in not too long. So, uh, we just talked about what you were building this week, but what I'm going to ask you, what have you been testing this week that you got in the mail? <laughs> How about that leaning well, leaning in? I'm
1: I'm not entirely sure what which thing you're referring to. Um,
0: if you've got some some personal things in the mail that I that are not no no no, <laughs> that's not what I mean. <laughs> there
1: there is more than one uh, photographic thing that came in. The I, mail. I was so, I was talking ta- about th- the
0: 63. 63? Yes. Oh, the camera you said. <laughs> yes. Oh, <my. laughs> Oh, I, yes. I feel like I've just stepped on your foot three times, you know, <laughs> to try to get you to say it. Yeah, but
1: my brain isn't in my foot. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> well, well, so Graham sent me the number two version of his camera named the 63 because it is a three centimeter by six centimeter roll film camera that, uh, the one he made for me takes a 90 millimeter lens. Luckily I had it a spare 90 millimeter lens. And it's just a fixed focus camera. So it's holding the lens about in the right place to to have a nice deep depth of field if you stop down enough. And so you don't have to focus it. You can, this particular lens lets me pick an aperture and a shutter speed as long as the aperture is small enough to get everything in focus. And and then there's this diabolical device that that, uh, Graham came up with For advancing the film where you have these two little knobs, (laughs) there's these two little knobs and you have to, you have to sort of feel the film and like turn the knobs while peering through a hole to get the little number to come to the right place. But what's ingenious about it is it lets you split a six by six, numbering in half to get the three by six layout. And that's very cool. I don't know what happened to me when I tried to operate it. I took a lot of pictures with the camera. It was really fun to use. It's tiny, lightweight, um, actually rigged up a, an old Hasselblad, uh, sports viewfinder, uh, to put on, on it. So it'd be easier to aim. So I had a whole lot of fun, but something went wrong with the film. I don't know. It, I, I probably did something wrong myself, but I ended up unloading it in a dark bag. And then making a big mess of loading it into a tank so that I wouldn't expose it to light. Um, so I, I kind of screwed that up and I have not developed it yet. So I don't know what, you know, what, it, what will come out of it. Um, and I actually have a, a, a spare roll of film that is already exposed. And I'm going to go and run it through the camera. Like, you know, just without taking pictures, just to see, to sort of get practice. I think I did two things wrong. I think I, I reversed too much because you're able to go backwards with this set up and I, and I kind of got confused. and I think I went way too far backward. And then I think I also may have just bollocks it up when I was unloading it.
0: Um, okay.
1: So I don't know. We'll see.
0: Okay. So we will talk about this more in a future episode. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, once, once Nick has a, a, a chance to try it out and we'll go through the full build, uh, on it. Um, so that's, and, and with mine, I'm, I'm continuing to shoot that and um, I'm actually surprising myself at how often uh an image that is one high by two wide, which is, you know, that six by three, it's one to two, how often I find subject matter that is just tailored for it, just driving around, just doing my normal, yeah. you know, go out and look for photographs kind of thing. And, well that's the, um, that's the
1: same as six twelve. So it's, yeah, it's six one by the, twelve, right. It's the classic panoramic.
0: Yeah. You know, and I'm you know. just finding a lot of uh a lot of potential for it. So uh, so I'm enjoying that. The other thing, uh I had two more builds in this last little bit. Um I built I okay, so when I was in Minneapolis uh on vacation a couple of weeks ago, I stopped by the National Camera Exchange in Golden Valley and they have upstairs uh away from their you know normal digital um uh, money making enterprise they have a vintage camera department and uh there're two or three guys working up there and uh they have along one wall those big industrial shelves you know where maybe there're five shelves um and it's just jam packed with camera junk and, uh, I went through and I pulled a, uh, pulled a range finder out of there. I pulled a, um, a cable release out of there and I pulled out two Graflex graph lock back, And there's the smaller graph lock back. What is it? The two by three? Is that what they call it? The two by three graph lock? Back? Yeah.
1: That's the small one. Yeah. yeah. It's and, actually two and a quarter by three and a quarter. By. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, so it's a six by seven. Uh, there are both of them are six by sevens. So it's essentially the same thing as a back for an RB67. Um, and this, these particular ones, I think were over there because they were branded when Singer owned Graflex right at the end. I think they owned them for about three or four years there at the end. And, uh, these are Singer branded Graflock, um, uh, Six by seven backs. So.
1: Well, that, I, that's a good thing because those later ones are the better ones.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And, and they, uh, they've got a couple of quirks. Um, but, uh, they seem to work well. And, and they both had dark slides and you know, they charged me 35 bucks a piece for them. And I thought that, that's a steal. I, cause I know what they, they go for on the bay. And that's about half of what they go for on the bay. And, and they weren't both in good condition. So what I did was I built a body. That slides on and, and if you've never used a graph lock back, it, um, you can just set it into the back and then you usually have, um, retaining clips, retaining bars that slide down off the topper and, and off the bottom. Um, however, there's a channel on the back, you know, there's a, a ridge that, that holds that, you know, that, that couples with that retaining bar and i figured that i could build something where i could slide the back onto a body of a camera oh, sure and like so it
1: would have fins that would catch instead of
0: right 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 the so the
1: problem is that but then you've got to deal with the the, the little crossbar that has to fit in a, a groove right so yeah you, so you'd need some kind of springiness to accommodate that
0: well i just i just let uh i just had a place for that and cut out a wedge um, in the uh, in the design. And, and basically what I did was I uh, did a 3d model and it's a pinhole. Uh, it's a pinhole with a uh, it's got a, you know, the six by seven image size. It's got a 24 millimeter focal length and I put on a 0.15 millimeter pinhole on it. And and then I devised a shutter thing in the front where it's a guillotine shutter. So you raise it up to let light in and you let it go down to uh, to cut off the light. Um, and what I found is it, right now the, that shutter mechanism is sitting on the passenger seat of my car um, because I have a dark slide. And the dark right. slide works right. just as well. So what I sure. do is I put my finger over the the pinhole, pull out the dark slide, wait wait until it stopped moving on the tripod, move my finger, count, right, put my right. finger back, and then I've got that dark slide to just slide right in there. It yep. really is a nice camera to go out and shoot with. Um
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've kind of gone to where I'm really mostly interested in cameras based on the, that that style where there's a separate film holder that you can detach and then the the full complete uh lens with its aperture and shutter speed all built in at the other end i just working with that that large format stuff is it's it works really well you get really high quality results from even the simplest camera and
0: know? it it does all the spacing you and you don't have to, you never overshoot, right? You never mm-hmm. overshoot yep. when you're advancing. Yep. Um, uh, and it, you know, it, it has all that all figured out. So, um, now the, the thing is that, um, while I'm home for the summer, um, I don't have access to the 3D printer I have access to at school. So I have this little tiny mini 3D printer that'll do like a four by four by four cube. That's the biggest it will print. And this was bigger than that, so I went to a place called Three dhubscom Hubs dot com, and you know, uh, uh, and essentially they kind of bid it out. And um, you know, I live in Northern Florida, Northeastern Florida, and somebody in, in suburb, well, yeah, suburb of Oca- not Ocala, of Orlando, uh, ended up printing it, and it was over the Labor Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, I think I sent it on a Thursday and I had it on the Tuesday, uh, had it back and it cost, uh, $35 with setup and shipping, uh, which is almost nothing, you know, for this. Uh, so it's, it's a really nice little, uh, little camera that I'm taking out and I'm really considering I'm going on a little bit of a bigger vacation coming up soon. And I'm considering that taking that instead of. Um, some of my other pinhole cameras that, um, you know, uh, have, were more professionally designed than what I did. So, so that's, that, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've well, been that, building. that's so.
1: encouraging. Yeah. I've been thinking the same thing. I've been thinking I really want to use, uh, roll film back as a basis for pinhole. And I, and I do have one that's, that's, a uh, Calumet roll film back that, that has spacing issues. And I, I might actually use that, um, because with certain kinds of film, it modern films are thinner than older films. And so the spacing is, um, it doesn't leave enough space if you use a modern film so the images will tend to crowd close together. So it's not ideal for using with my regular cameras, but I'm thinking of just turning it into a pinhole camera. And one solution I thought about, you know, there's ways you can kind of fudge by adding a little paper in so that when you wind the, wind the, uh, roll film, it, it takes up a little more space and it gets bigger spacing. But I also thought, you know, I could just, just slightly reduce the opening, you know, mask, mask it slightly, you know, so that you're making a slightly smaller image and then it won't overlap on the roll. So that'd be a simple fix. And that would be a great thing to turn into. A pinhole camera because it's six by nine, and it's like you're saying it's automatic. There's a crank on this one; you just turn the crank, um, and it automatically spaces the film the right amount. And it's small and and it's sturdy. So when you attach your plastic contraption to it, it had this nice rigid, rigid uh, uh, structure to support everything.
0: Come on, get out the angle grinder, grind that thing out of uh, out of an old Chevy. <laughs> Uh, No, I'm talking about your using. Oh, mine, mine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And mine. One of the things, uh, one of the things that's really nice about working in plastic is I I don't know if the measurements were off or there was a little bit of, uh, of shrinkage in the printing or more, most likely there was some, some measurement that was off, but it's a little bit of a tight fit. So all I have to do is take my, um, you know, craft knife and, uh, and cut it down, uh, or sand it sand it down. I've been doing also some sanding on some other ones. So, so that's really, uh, you know, a nice little advantage. So, uh, did have you gotten any emails or letters from our listeners other than, uh, the interactions that we have on our forums?
1: No, I, I haven't got anything through email. I think it's all been communicating directly through Flickr and, uh, Uh, I don't know about Instagram that did remind me though. There's a, do you ever follow uh, somebody named Dora Goodman?
0: I don't think Uh, so. Uh, you mean on Flickr?
1: Yeah, that's a woman who lives in New York who makes, uh, she makes and modifies film cameras, custom stuff. A lot of, uh, a lot of it is just aesthetic, but she also builds cameras from scratch. And her system's actually pretty cool. She's done a lot of them that are basically a whole bunch of, shapes cut out of flat material and then you stack them all up and put bolts through them and that gives you precise control of your your um front to back dimensions for things like getting things to be sharply in focus but it's a very very simple way to build up a structure because you're just making a, essentially a whole it's like building a sandwich you know Okay you, send me her um, Anyway she, she okay. recently came out with her first 3d printed plastic version of her camera um and it's one that uses a mamiya press lens like the ones i've been using only a 65 millimeter and she's she's giving away the the plan so she's basically saying you know come to my website download it print it for yourself um and it's kind of cool it looks like a really a nice camera so just look up dora goodman on instagram you'll find
0: i am at on uh oh on instagram no on Flickr right
1: Nope. Instagram.
0: Instagram. Well, I'm on Flickr, so no wonder I wasn't finding. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely, uh, definitely take a look. Hang on a second. Does it look like it is, like, um, got a, uh, like it's it's clamped together? Uh, like it's got Yeah, but it's, well, true bolts. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. Well, she's on, uh, Flickr as well. Oh, and, um, probably, yeah. yeah. So, uh, a lot of her stuff is, uh, of like tattoo parlors and stuff like that. But I, I'm seeing. Okay.
1: That's her images. But if you go to Instagram, yeah. you see her, her cameras. It's, yeah. it's more. And, and she also makes, oh, she makes, you know, straps and, and they've got bells and all that. Yeah. And the other thing, she does a lot of things where she'll take a classic film camera and replace the leather with wood grain or something. And, okay. You know, it, I, it's not really something I would ever do, but it, she makes basically that they're, they're like fashion accessory cameras that uh, people who want a, a real camera but also want to make a visual statement, I guess, are yeah.
0: buy them. It's okay. it's New York, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this stuff looks good. This stuff definitely looks good. Um, anything, anybody else you want to point out? Mm. Oh, not at the moment. Okay. Um, uh, just if anybody does want to get a hold of us, uh, you can email us. We, we won't stop you. Um, Graham at homemadecamera.com or Nick at homemadecamera.com. Uh, we all, I am freezer of photons on Flickr and on Instagram, you can find me at Graham homemade camera. And, um, you're on Flickr. And yeah. What is your Yeah. Name? I'm
1: just Nick Lyle on Flickr. That's, that's where all my photographic experiments are. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I just, um, want to remind everybody we're part of the film podcast network for a listing of film and experimental photography podcasts, visit the pod, the film podcast If you have a podcast yourself, there's a form for you to fill out, uh, the information about your show and submit to the listings. And I was just, uh, looking, we have, uh, I believe 12 different podcasts, uh, in English, one in German and one in Swedish. So, um, take a take a take a look at those and take a listen to those. And do you want to thank Robbie?
1: Yeah, uh, I want to thank Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios for the really cool music he made for our show. Um, and look his site up too. He does all kinds of amazing stuff as well as uh, music productions. Mm-hmm.